Welcome to the Rocky Mountain Christian Church Podcast. Rocky is a community of believers who want to know Jesus and love like Him. Let's take a listen to this week's message. Good morning. I hope you're doing well, church. You're doing well? Everybody doing good? I want to welcome you, whether you're connected with us on site or online. If you don't know me, my name is Matt, I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and it's good to uh, be with you. We're going to be jumping into week two of our series entitled Perspective in just a second, but a couple quick things I want to give to you. Uh, if you are new to our church over the last couple of weeks, maybe over the last couple of months, we would love to connect with you. We now have this new feature called texting. It's brand new, and uh, we would love to send you a couple of texts. And if that interests you, especially if you're, again, new, uh, you can text the word new, N-E-W, to 97000. Uh, we're not going to overload you, but we've got a couple of things we'll send your way. A couple of videos, uh, one from our lead pastor, one from uh, me and Amanda, our campus pastor at Niwa, just to give you some more information, get to know us more a little bit. Uh, and, and if you've been around here for a little bit, we've uh, changed up some things as far as getting information to you and communicating with you. And one of the main places that we're going to keep updated uh, that has all the information is on our website at rocky.church slash this week. You can go to it right now uh, and you'll see, again, what's going on around here. And if you are interested in possibly taking any next steps, all the info is right there. So I want to encourage you to check that out. Again, we're jumping into week two of our series entitled Perspective. Sean launched us last week as we are going to continue working through the book of Philippians. And this whole idea for this series is to, as we're walking through this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote, is to be encouraged and to be challenged and to think that that maybe there's a, a, other perspectives for you and I, especially those of us who are followers of Jesus when it comes to our life. Maybe there's a different way to think. And, and I don't know about you, but in light of this series over the last couple of weeks, I've, I've thought a little bit uh, in my own life, have I ever had a change of perspective, a big change of perspective? I'd ask you, have you ever received information that in turn changed your attitude regarding something that even maybe you believe to be a true. Did you ever have a moment in your life where you had a, a mind shift? You thought one way and yet then you received some information and you thought a different way. Uh, one of these uh, moments in my life happened about 10 years ago. It was during my birthday week. We were living in Virginia and my small group was going out for a birthday meal, not for my birthday, but somebody else in our group. In fact, her name was Haley and we were going out. It was her birthday and just so happens that our birthday weeks uh, were the same. And so we went out to dinner to this really cool restaurant. And during the uh, dinner, uh, I, I said, hey, it's so cool that uh, we share a birthday week. Uh, we, we were both born in the year 1984. Good year. Okay, 84. And, uh, and I said, that's so awesome. You know, we're born in the same week. And, and, and we were born on Easter week, right? We were born on Easter week in 1984. And she said, yeah, that's right. And I said, man, that's so crazy. I, 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 I get excited. And then here's what I thought. I said, I was actually born on Easter Sunday. And she looked at me with a puzzled look and then said, no, you didn't. And I said, yeah, yes, I did. I know when I was born. I was born on Easter Sunday, 1984. I, I've been telling people my whole life I was born on Easter. I find a little pride in the fact I was born on Easter. And she said, no, you weren't. I go, Yes, I was. And she goes, no, no, that can't be because I was born on Easter in 1984. And I said, well, my mom told me that I was born on Easter, so you must be 
wrong. And it just so happens we have this thing called Google and she said, well, let's just look it up. And so she went to look it up and then she proceeded to put some information in front of me that changed my life. (laughs) That I was not born on Easter in 1984 and two things happened. One, I got a little depressed and two, I realized that my mom was a liar. (laughs) And my mom is watching. It's not true. I probably just didn't listen well. I don't know, but somewhere along the way, I came to a conclusion that I was born on Easter, and then all of a sudden, some information was presented to me that changed my mind. My perspective was changed. I was no longer born on Easter, and what my mom said was, no, 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 I didn't say you were born on Easter. I said I took you home on Easter. I said, okay, that's not as exciting. So, uh, 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 but, but we have uh, these moments in our life where we change our minds because we've been given a different perspective. Now, this whole letter uh, that Paul has written to the church in uh, Philippi, uh, again, it's written by this guy named the Apostle Paul. In fact, some people believe that this, uh, this church in Philippi was maybe Paul's favorite church. If you asked him, he probably would have answered, but in what you read and, and how you see Paul writing, you can just feel there's a sense of a deeper connection and deeper love with this church. And this church was supporting Paul. In fact, they had sent him a pretty generous gift. And in light of receiving that gift, now Paul is writing this letter back to the church and he's just expressing his love for them. And also through this letter, reminding them of some of the most important things. And what you'll find if you read through the book of Philippians, again, it's only four four chapters, very, very short. If you carefully read through those four chapters, you will find at least 16 references to the mind or this idea of thinking or thought. I mean, Paul, he, he, was really, uh, he, he was really obsessed with this idea of what's going on in our mind. He's going to talk about how you should think or what you should remember or what your attitude should be. And this is exactly where we pick up in Philippians chapter 2. See if your Bible, you can follow along. This is Philippians chapter 2 starting in verse 1. says this, Paul writes, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by, then here, here, here's where you get started, by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, and again, look at this, of, of one mind. And so Paul in chapter two begins leaning in and encouraging the church to be like-minded. Now the Greek word there actually means this idea to set your affection on or to think or to be single Minded. And again, Paul, he was so obsessed with this idea of what was going on in our mind. He'll lean in all through the New Testament. Other letters that he will write to, to other groups of people, he will say almost the exact same thing. He would say uh, in the book of Romans chapter 12, he says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect Will. He'll, he'll say to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians, he goes, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought, every thought to make it obedient to Jesus. He'll say a little bit later in the book of Philippians in chapter four, he goes, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, 
Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, uh, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, listen, think. Think about such things. And the book of Proverbs would say this, for as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And here's the idea that Paul is going to put in front of us. Here's the mind shift. Here's the challenge uh, uh, today. Here's what Paul would say. How you think determines what you become. How you think determines what you become. Now, for Paul, everything was about Jesus. And, and Paul goes, here's his argument. What I think, this is Paul's talking, what I think that you should be thinking about is what Jesus thought about. That's his argument in Philippians. You should be thinking just like Christ thought. And here's why. Because if you think like Jesus thought, you'll live like Jesus lived. It's Paul's argument in chapter two. If you will think like Jesus thought, then you will uh, live like Jesus lived. Even in our mission statement here at Rocky, to know Jesus and love like him, there's a call in how we live. And Paul goes, listen, if you wanna live like Jesus, then you're gonna need to think like Jesus. And parents, just listen in for a second. This is good parenting uh, for us today because oftentimes when our kids don't do something right, what do we say? What were you thinking? And what you quickly realized was they weren't thinking anything. And that's the problem, right? What were you thinking? Why would you do that? Why would you say that? What was going on in your Mind. Now, uh, I'm just telling you, if you were really smart, and especially young people in the room, if you want to go and interview some successful people, you can take on some of their habits and work ethics. But I'm telling you, the most important thing is to understand how they think. How they think. In fact, parents, when your kids get something right, you should follow that up and go, what were you thinking? Because maybe the most strategic parenting you could do is try to get your kid to think like that more, not less. How you think will ultimately determine who you become. And if you think like Jesus and the opportunity for you to live like Jesus will increase. And this is Paul's argument. And Paul will, will remind us, and if we read the stories of Jesus, you can see that Jesus thought a whole lot about pleasing God and loving people. Paul goes on, verse three, he says this, do nothing. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to say nothing. Ready? One, two, three. That was okay, but not great. One, two, three. Nothing. nothing. And when you dive into the Greek there, nothing means? Smart people. Nothing. It means nothing. Do nothing. Do nothing. This is what Paul said. Do nothing. He doesn't say make ourselves less. He goes, no, no, you're going to do nothing. And nothing means nothing. So do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, here, here's the alternative. In humility, value others above yourselves. And when you jump into the definition of the Greek there for the word humility, it means modest or lowliness of mind. Lowliness of mind. You do nothing out of selfish ambition, but rather you have a lowliness of mind. You value others above yourself. Paul goes, look, you need to choose in your mind to position yourself in the context of how you live below others in order to please God and love people. I've said this quote before, but C.S. Lewis says that humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. 
Humility changes our motive for why we do what we do. Paul continues, verse four, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others, verse five, in your relationships with one another. Have the same mindset, or you could put their attitude. Have the same mindset or attitude as Christ Jesus. Again, Paul is obsessed with this idea of what is happening in our mind. And the reason why he brings up the attitude of Jesus, because attitude is this little thing that makes a big difference. Any parents can get an amen? Any parents of some girls get an amen? Yeesh. Attitude is a little thing, but it makes a big difference. It's a little thing that can actually change the direction or trajectory of your life. Your attitude is the combination of your mental habits. It's your habits of thought. It's the way that you have trained your brain to think. And here's the cool thing about habits, they can be acquired. We can all start a habit today if we would choose to do so, meaning you can actually create good habits of thought or poor habits of thought. And this is what Paul is arguing. And Paul says we should develop the habit of thinking like Jesus thought. We should think like Jesus. In humility, Paul goes on, well, how did Jesus think? Paul goes, I'm glad you asked. Verse five, in your relationships with one another, look, have the same mindset, have the same attitude as Jesus. Well, what did his attitude lead him to do? Verse six, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, verse seven, but rather he made himself, what's the word? Nothing. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as man. He, again, look at this, humbled himself. So Paul, he's so good. He's such a good writer, encourages you to do something. And he goes, and I want you to do it because this is exactly how Jesus thinks. And this is exactly how Jesus lives. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so this is a huge mind shift in the thought of the believers. Why? Well, because we all have the tendency to think that this life is all about us, don't we? It's a huge mind shift in the kingdom of God. We, we, we don't think about ourselves as much as we think others. In fact, through humility, this, this singleness of, of mind, a humility of mind, we actually begin to value others above ourselves. Well, how could you do that? Well, Paul says, well, you should think like Jesus thought, and Jesus thought he was a servant. That's what he thought. Because he thought he was a servant, he actually lived like he was a servant. And friends, in the context of our culture today, that is just about foreign. We love the promotion of self. No, we don't. Yes, we do. We love it. We love self Promotion. There's this little thing in the context of our culture called what? Social media. Social media. This is why we're drawn to it. We love self-promotion. Look at me, listen to me, agree with me, argue with me, like me, love me. And yet in the kingdom of God, Paul will say through the example of Jesus, that's not how you should be thinking. It's not all about you. In fact, here's the first mind shift that Paul will put in front of us, that pleasing God isn't about self-promotion, but self-abandonment. It's not about how many followers you can get, it's about how many people you can serve. And the more you think like a servant, the more you will serve. The reason why the word nothing is in there, 
to die to self, to literally give up nothing is not an easy thing to do, is it, friends? Give up nothing. And yet, you know that God does his best work with nothing. When you show up in the context of your relationship with Jesus and you go, you get it all. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll use the money and steward it in such a way that you've already given to me however you want me to do because I'm a servant of Jesus. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I, I, I have nothing because I, in humility, I have humbled myself to a place where my whole life now, I will be a servant of the gospel. I'll serve and follow and to love like Jesus means I'm gonna love people like Jesus loved people. And Paul goes, if you want to give an argument here, if there was ever somebody on this earth who, who, who should probably, you know, have all the information to, to push back, to not be a servant, it would be Jesus. I mean, think about it. He is the, he's literally sitting with God in heaven. He doesn't have to, like, he doesn't have to bow down to anybody. He is God. And yet Paul goes, even Jesus. So there's no excuse for you and me. Last time I checked, you were not God, all right? And Jesus, uh, God came and humbled himself. He took the form of a man, didn't have to, and yet he did. And even, even served you and me in obedience all the way to the cross. There's no way. There's no way today that if you are a follower of Jesus that you could say that serving isn't a big deal in the context of how you live. Jesus is all over it. And Paul says pleasing God isn't about self-promotion, it's about self-abandonment. Even Jesus made himself nothing so he could live like a servant. Here's the second thought that he presents right there, mind shift number two, serving is not something I do. Being a servant is who I am. Serving is not just something we do. It's not that we get our serve on every once in a while. Paul goes, no, no, you are a servant. This is where your identity comes from in humility as you follow Jesus, making yourself nothing. Serving is not something I do. Being a servant is who I am. This is a lifestyle. We are thinking like this 24-7. And this is a hard thought, friends, because we don't like the word servant, do we? We don't like it. Even in the context of leadership, when we take principles of, of leading as a servant, we can't even just keep it servant. We have to say servant leadership because we hate the word servant so much it has this you know, kind of all this connotation to it, and yet this is the very thing that we've been called to there's this story in Matthew chapter 20 one of my favorite stories I'm just gonna work through it real quick for you but essentially uh, there are these two disciples who send their mom to talk to Jesus for them never do that but they do it all right they send their mom and the mom goes to Jesus and says Jesus I have these two sons would you find favor on them and when you establish your kingdom will you put one on your left and one on your right. Will you make them great in your kingdom? And Jesus says to the woman, you don't even know what you're asking, right? Because in, in God's kingdom, the, 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 the currency is serving. He goes, you, you don't know what you're asking. Like, I'm going to sit on that throne because I'm going to give my life. Do you know what you're asking for your boys? And she goes, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. And he goes, you don't understand. And so it causes this commotion. The other disciples hear about it and they're upset, not because of what those guys said, because they didn't ask first. Everybody wants to be great. And Jesus gets his guys together. And look what he says. This is verse 25. He goes, Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Verse 26, not so with you. Not so with you. 
You guys know how the world works, right? Yeah, yeah, we know. You know what it looks like for these rulers and, and these earthly kingdoms and how people serve them and how they got everything and they're living this luxurious life. And they go, yes, we know. That's why we want it. Yes, we want to be in charge. We want to be the ones that have influence and we know you're the guy. So we want to sit on your left and your right. And Jesus says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your, look at this, servant. Mind shift. What? Yeah, yeah. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. What? Verse 28, just like, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus goes, serving is not something I do. Being a servant is who I am. And if you want to gain influence, boys, in the kingdom of heaven, it is through serving. The Cliff Note version, Matthew 20, verse 16, says this, so the last will be first, and the first will be last. Followers of Jesus don't fight for the front of the line. We fight for the back. Mind shift. Paul, in his letter to the church in Philippi, will actually address his letter very uniquely, different than all the other letters that he will write, I think to get this point across even more, but he begins his letter saying, this is Paul and Timothy, and here's what he says, we are the servants of Jesus Christ. Of all the accolades that Paul has, all the titles that he could take, he writes to the church in Philippi, he goes, guys, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. Paul goes, remember, how you think determines what you become. And I'm about you, but as I read the scriptures and I learn more about the story of Paul, it blows me away that this guy, this guy who lived an incredible life, I mean, he's maybe outside of Jesus, one of the most well-known characters in the Bible, more than likely the greatest church planter that ever exists in the history of the church. And he went through so much garbage in his life. Yet he never folded. I mean, very few times you even see him kind of leaning in a little bit and going, this stinks. I mean, very rarely. He's got this attitude about him that for me is very attractive. And oftentimes in encouraged and also a little humble, knowing the world he lived in and what he had to go through. And in some of the most incredible hardship, even Paul, when he's writing this letter to the church in Philippi, is essentially waiting to hear from Rome how he will die. Half of the New Testament written by a guy who is in jail or shipwrecked or being beaten. He was stoned one time and they left him because they thought he was dead and he actually was alive and then they stoned him again. And somehow he writes some of the most incredibly beautiful scriptures that we could read. Just listen to this first. This is amazing to me. This is Philippians 1, 21. It says this, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That was written by a guy in jail. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, Paul goes, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Jesus. In Acts 20, he'll say this, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and 
complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. And if Paul was here, I would look at him and go, how can you say these things, Paul? How could you be at a place where you have lived through some of the most incredible hardships? I mean, he has tackled things in his life that you and I will never touch. I wonder if Paul's answer would be something like this. Well, Matt, if you think like Jesus thought, you can live like Jesus lived. Paul's got all the excuses. He could have said, I don't have what it takes. I, this isn't fair. I wish this was different. Why didn't God do this? I deserve more. I, how can I be happy in a world this bad? How can I be joyful when things aren't going how I want them to go? And friends, here's the last mind shift that Paul will put in front of us. And here it is, number three. My joy and your joy isn't based on what happens to me, but what God is doing in me and through me. Why? Because this life isn't all about me because we are servants of the gospel. We have made ourselves nothing. Servants serve. And Paul, through thinking like Jesus, was able to live like Jesus. And even in the midst of hanging out in jail would go, I know why I'm here. It's to serve people who are far from God. And so he begins winning over the guards of the jail with the story of Jesus. Paul will even say in, 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 in other books of the Bible, even in Philippians, he, he wrestles with this idea. He goes, I don't know what's better. Is it to live and, and to hopefully see you again or is it to die and be with Christ? Because it's win, win. And you know who says that? A servant. If I die, it's fine because I am nothing. I have made myself nothing. I consider everything in this world garbage compared to knowing Christ. And if I die, I get to be with them forever and eternity. If we think like Jesus and we can love like Jesus. And this next verse I'm gonna read you has blown me away this week. Again, Paul hanging out, waiting to hear what's gonna happen to him, the context of his life. He'll write this to the church in Philippi. Chapter two, verse 17, here's what he says. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice, meaning even if my blood is about to be spilled, and service coming from your faith. Look, look what he writes here. I am glad. I am glad. What? Yeah, I'm glad. And I rejoice. I, I worship with all of you. Friends, it's going to be okay. Paul, you're in jail. I know it's going to be okay. Because my mind is on the thoughts of Jesus. And I consider this nothing in comparison to serving Christ. Paul, what's the success to your life? Matt, it's coming to the conclusion that it's not all about me. It's all about him. And through humility, I've humbled myself to fight not for the front of the line, but the back. If you think like Jesus thought, you'll live like Jesus lived. And pleasing God isn't all about self-promotion. It's about self abandonment. It's not how many people are following you, it's how many people you get to serve. And serving isn't something that we get to do or have to do. Being a servant is who we are. And friends, our joy today in the midst of an incredibly difficult year is not found in our circumstances. 
It's not found in what has happened to us or our family. It is found in what God is doing in and through our lives. And he is on the move. This is why we gather. And this is why we sing. And this is why we jump into the scriptures. And for us, maybe the greatest challenge in the midst of difficulties will take one out of the book of Paul. And Paul will say, if you want to live like Jesus lived, then you've got to think like Jesus thought. Let me pray for us. Father, today we, we humble ourselves. We take note of how we have lived this past week, this past month, this past year. We take note how we have responded. We take note in what we have said. We take note in what we have thought. And would you challenge your church today who's had a tough year, being surrounded by people who are in the midst of difficult stories, that we would take the challenge, the call to live like you. And if we're gonna live like you, then we gotta think like you. That we would choose not to run out ahead, but we would choose to fight for the back. That we would value others more than even we value ourselves and through humility to choose nothing to follow in the footsteps of the one who would show us what it looks like as he takes his cross, as he walks up the hill and through obedience will allow himself to be nailed and crucified and three days later come back from the dead. May you lean into your church today that we may live lives more like that. And to do it, let us have the mindset and let us find joy in some of the most difficult days of our life, knowing that God is still on the move. He's working in us and through us, not just for our sake, but also for the sake of others who have yet to discover who Jesus is. May this church get stinking excited about those stories. And welcome on the difficulties of life because we are simply humble servants doing the will of the Father. We count it as nothing for the sake of the one who did everything. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. And the church said, amen. Amen.